Um, let, me, uh, let me pray, and we'll get started this morning. Uh, Lord Jesus, thanks for uh, our friends in the room. Thanks that you have uh, written this day in your calendar. Uh, you've written this day in our calendar. And you've got uh, plans and purposes uh, for this morning. And so, whether there are folks here who have trusted you their entire lives, or uh, folks who are on um, the outside of your family right now, who are just kind of trying to figure out if they can trust you or not, and if they can trust a community of faith, and um, if you really do provide answers to the questions of life, I pray that this might be an opportunity that all of us meet you in the space that you have for us, that your spirit would move freely amongst us, that our ears would be ready to hear. Um, Father, if, there, if there's a stubbornness uh, in our heart, too, um, that is just stiff to the things of you, um, I pray that you would uh, break down those walls this morning as well and begin to soften our hearts and do some things uh, in us that uh, maybe we never even thought uh, imaginable. Uh, take this morning and use it for our good and for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name now. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Ruth, uh, Ruth chapter 2. Uh, if you uh, weren't here with us last week, uh, we started uh, a brand new Ruth series that we called Hope in the Darkness. And so as you're finding Ruth, I'll try, just try to catch you up a little bit. Um, we talked last week uh, about how there's this tapestry going on where in the midst of chaos and struggle, there's a God who's behind the scenes and he's busy at work uh, for our good and for his glory. And, and that's the theme of the book that we said, right? That God is always working behind the scenes for our good and for his glory, right? As everybody say that with me. That's, that's the theme. God is always working behind the scenes for our good and for his glory. I mean, that's what he's been doing since day one, since before we ever even stepped on to this planet. God has been at work for our good and for uh, his uh, glory. And no matter how messy things get into our lives, that reality is, is still there. And so we can have this confidence that God isn't somehow spinning the world into creation and then sitting back in his lazy chair, just with his arms kind of crossed over and be like, I wonder how this is going to work out. I mean, I wonder what he's going to do. I wonder what she's going to do. I hope it all pans out the way that it's supposed to. No, we can have confidence that God is actively involved in every single detail and aspect um, of our lives. And so when we were digging into Ruth chapter 1 last week, what we saw was this woman named Naomi. You guys remember Naomi? Naomi lost everything, didn't she? And to be honest, if we were to kind of categorize last week, we're like, man, last week was kind of a downer. I went home and Ash was like, you could, you could have maybe pepped it up a little bit. I was like, well, that's not the story. I mean, Ruth, she lost, or uh, Naomi and Ruth. I mean, they just lost everything, right? There, there's no way to sugarcoat that reality. Her husband dies, her sons die, and she's walking around, man, and she's just bitter. And so when she looks at the circumstances of her life, what she's come to conclude is that God has just crushed her. Like, just nothing, like, God did this. If there's anything bad in her life, like, God did that. If there's anything good left in her life, maybe there's a something going on with God. But she has come to the conclusion that God has taken everything away from her. And she's mad. She's so mad. She's so bitter. It's like she's gone down to the, to the DMV or down uh, to the courthouse and be like, hey, take my name off of everything. Like, I don't even want to be considered the same person that you've known me to be. Take my name. Don't even call me Naomi anymore, because we saw that Naomi means pleasant. So like, don't call me pleasant. Take, take my name off the driver's license. It's not who I am. Just start calling me bitter. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, 
and I've come back to Bethlehem, and now I'm completely empty. There's nothing left. And what she doesn't know is that God is working behind the scenes for her good and for her glory. All she can see is the ashes. We just sang about, you know, all, all, all we can see sometimes is the cross, but God sees the empty too. Like he sees what's getting ready to come, but she can't see that. And so we left Naomi last week and she was bitter and she was angry, but she's not alone. She's got her Moabite daughter-in-law who's hanging by her side, Ruth. And Ruth makes the decision that, hey, as you go home, I'm coming back with you. Your people are going to be my people. Your God's going to be my God. I will die with you. I will be buried with you. If you've ever heard about the term a ride or die, right? This is the ultimate ride or die. She is with her until the end. And so you've got these two women. They're going back home to Bethlehem. And their hope bucket is quite empty right now. They're hungry. One of them's just completely bitter. And one of them is going to a land that she's never even been before. There's all kinds of confusion and chaos that's in the midst of that. And they are hoping that maybe something good might come out of this. Wouldn't it just be nice if we go back and somebody would just show us some kindness? Somebody might show us a little bit of love. If you've ever been in a pretty bad situation, maybe you've walked through those shoes. Man, in my situation right now, it, it would be really nice if somebody showed up and just showed, I mean, just, showed, just like a little bit, they care. They love, like they see what's going on in my life. And when you turn the page to Ruth chapter 2, man, this story is getting really good. And so look at Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now you need to know from the outset here that the writer of the book of Ruth is one of the best writers that's ever existed, right? Because Ruth stands out in American history, in world history, in the world of literature as one of the best small books or, or, or one of the best short stories that's ever been written amongst believers and non-believers alike. You talk to anybody who's in the literature world like, hey man, Ruth is one of the best. It is one of the best. And so the author here, he knows what he's doing as he writes. And so at the end of chapter one, you have Naomi and you have Ruth, two women who are in desperate need, widowed, childless. They need food. They need a place to call home. They need hope. And then you turn the page to chapter two, and then you see in verse one, you have an author who's beginning to kind of tease out what God's about to do. You ever been uh, to the melodramas out at Mahoney State Park? Uh, I mean, those, those things are fun. Like in the summer, Ashley and I, we, we love to go out to the melodramas. Um, we go to a couple of them every, every summer. They're silly, they're fun, and the, honestly, they're just uh, a blast to be around, and we have a, a good time in, in while we're there. And what they do before they start the show is they bring the characters out onto the stage, and, and they tell you how to interact with those characters throughout the stories they come out on, onto the stage. And so they they bring the damsel in the stress out with a certain kind of music, and she's out on the stage, and when she comes out, everybody's like, oh, and then she goes off the stage, and then they bring the villain out with this ominous kind of a music, and everybody starts booing and hissing, and they're like, ah, get on, and they start throwing popcorn at him, honestly, and they're like, he gets off the stage before he gets hurt, and then they bring out the hero. And everybody starts cheering, and you've got the hero. This is the savior. This is the one who's going to step in to help out the damsel in distress, and everybody cheers for him. And so as they bring out these characters throughout the show, you know this is how you interact with them. You are either booing and hissing, you are, ah, for the damsel in distress, or you are cheering for the hero who's coming out. 
That's what the author is doing here at the beginning. He is setting up the drama. There's pain and there's chaos, and it looks like all hope has been lost. And now you've got a couple damsels in distress, and then all of a sudden, the author introduces Boaz. And when Boaz steps on the scene, the audience gets this sense of, oh, all right, almost a cheer from the readers. Like, everything's going to be okay. Like, it it looks rough right now, but it's going to be okay eventually. And so the author, he shows you Boaz, and then he takes him right back off the stage. Like, here's Boaz, and then poof, he's gone. And he's going to come back in a a little bit later. And so he says, here's what he does in verse 1. Naomi has a relative. You're like, oh, she does? I thought she was going back and, and, and everything was taking away from her. Oh, no, she's, she's got a relative, a relative of her husband who was from the clan of Elimelech. And we read that and we just kind of glance over like, oh, Elimelech and from the clan. Like, oh, so I don't even know that business. Like, get me to the good parts. But like, we can't skip over this because like, that doesn't really register for us. But for the original readers, like, they would stop dead in their tracks. Like, Omi, uh, oh, 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 uh, um, Naomi, she has a relative. Oh, from the clan of Elimelech. This is a big deal because... They understood the way that the family worked in Israelite society at the time. They knew that, that an individual was a part of a family, a family was part of a clan, and a clan was part of a tribe. And so you've got individual, family, tri- or clan, and then tribe. And so it all is part of this. And, uh, and what's important, or this is important because the clan was, was a group that was the most important social structure that the Israelite society knew at the time. And the reason why this is important is, is that if you were part of somebody else's clan, if something breaks down inside of that clan, you know that there's a responsibility for you to show up and to start helping wherever there is need inside of that clan. And this is significant because when we first find Boaz, we find out that there's something going on about him. He is from the same clan of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. Now, this is a big deal. You with me? God is up to something, and the author is teasing at it from verse 1. God is doing something here. The second thing we find out about Boaz was that he's a worthy man. Now, the word worthy here, it, it can be, it's, there's a lot that's tied up into it. It could be used in the sense of, well, this is a wealthy man. He's got a, a lot of means. It could be used of, this is a man of strong moral and ethical character. It could be used in a sense of, a lot of times when it was used, it was used to describe the man of valor. Like the word worthy here means that this guy stands out amongst the crowd. This is a good dude. There's so much that gets wrapped up here, but the reality is that this is going to be a man of God who has character, who has means, who's going to step up, and he is going to take responsibility. Now remember, when Ruth's written, it's written into the context where everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. But Boaz... He jumps in on the scene, and he stands out as something different. There's a a contrast between him and every other man in society. There's a contrast in him and, and the way that any other person is acting in society. He jumps on the scene, and he stands out as worthy, strong in standing, strong in character. And the reason that he stands out is because nobody else is doing this. Nobody else has character like this. Right now, everybody's doing whatever it is that they want to do. And so we're left with a sense, as soon as we meet Boaz, there's something different about him. And so we're left with this decision, like, man, I can, I can choose to be like a Boaz, or I can choose to be like one of these other knucklehead guys who are walking around on, uh, during, in Israel at the time. So am I going to be like Boaz? But you get this sense that, man, 
I don't have to do whatever everybody else is doing. Everybody else may be doing whatever it is that they want to do, but I can rise up and I can take responsibility like this guy. And then the author, he pulls him off the stage, and we don't get to see him for, for a minute. Guys, as we go through this morning, some of y'all probably heard like, oh, oh, we're going through Ruth. This is going to be a girl's study. Now, like, I want you to pay attention to what Boaz does. I want you to pay attention to his character. I want you to pay attention to how he leads, how he takes responsibility, how he steps up. Ladies, yeah, when you heard Ruth, like, yeah, there's, there's a gal who's in the story, and she's amazing. But I want you to see in this particular chapter how Boaz rises up and treats the, the women around him, or particularly um, Ruth, who's going to show up around him and understand that this is, what it, this is what it looks like to have a man who stand, steps up into your life and takes responsibility, whether that's a, a friend or a significant other or a spouse. That this, is, this is what it looks like to be treated uh, at, at, from, by, by a man as God would have, uh, have it uh, for uh, you ladies. Okay, Ruth and Naomi... They step back onto the stage here in verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him whose sight I've found favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Now Ruth, she's been in Bethlehem not very long now, right? But she's already picking up on a key characteristic of God. Like God cares about his people. God shows up in gracious ways. And so in chapter 1, we see her, she says, Hey, your people are going to be my people. Your God's going to be my God. And now she's acting on one of the commands of grace that God has given the Israelite people all throughout their ages. That comes out of the book of Leviticus, uh, pieces of it coming out of Deuteronomy. So in the Old Testament, what God had said is that I'm going to care for people. I'm going to love people really well. I'm going to be gracious to people. Those who don't have food, I'm going to take care of them. Those who don't have a husband, I'm going to take care of them. Those who have been widowed, those who are fatherless, those who are walking around as sojourners in the land, those who have nothing to eat, I'm going to care for them. And the way that I'm going to care for them is going to be through you. And so as you go out and you harvest your fields, as you are praising God for the way that he's taking care of you and you're harvesting your fields, don't take it all. Leave the corners of your field alone. The stuff that falls out while you're harvesting as well, leave it there because I'm going to show favor to those who don't have anything by your hands. And so um, Ruth is acting on this. She's like, okay, I'm going to go out and I am going to see if there is anybody in Israel who's willing to show me favor like God has called them to show me favor. And so Ruth, she said, your people, my people, your God, my God. And she goes out for Naomi and for herself, and she starts getting after it and sees it. Can I find favor? Am I going to be allowed to glean in somebody else's field? And so she goes out. She's hoping to find someone who might show her a little bit of kindness and a little bit of favor. And so if you've got your Bible and a pen, or make sure to circle or underline the word favor there, because this word pops up over and over again in the book of Ruth. And it's, it's not just favor like I'm going to be nice to you, the favor is the same kind of favor that shows up with God's love and his grace towards his people. It's the same kind of favor that he said that he was going to have for his people. It's a loving kindness that is inconsequential to how somebody else responds to them. It's a favor that is undeserved. It's a favor that is freely lavished on us by God himself. And he has called his people to have the same kind of favor for those who come who are in need. And Ruth is hoping to find somebody who will show this kind of favor. And this is where the story starts to get real good. Look at verse 3. So she set out and went out and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened, or she just so happened, to come to the part of the field belonging to who? 
Oh, Boaz and all the original readers are cheering in this moment, okay? Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Well, isn't that interesting? Here comes Boaz back onto the stage. The original readers are clapping. They would have been on the edge of the seat. Are you guys on the edge of your seat right now? Yeah, yeah, come on. Get on the edge of your seat with me. This story is amazing, right? Boaz, who, in case we had forgotten, is from the clan of Elimelech here. Ruth goes out that morning. She leaves her house. She's randomly going out through the fields of Bethlehem, seeing if there's anybody who's going to find, that she's going to be able to glean in their fields, any leftovers that she can have. And wouldn't you know it, she just so happens to land in the field of Boaz. And we might read that in, in our vernacular today, as chance would have it, or as luck would, would have it. Well, isn't this just the best little coincidence for Ruth, the best little coincidence you could ever hope that she might have? Let me ask you, are you a guy or a gal who looks at situations in your life or situations that have happened and it just, it just happens by chance or that happens by accident or just a, a random uh, choice selection? And there is nothing in life that happens by accident. We see it time and time again throughout Old Testament history, New Testament history, throughout world history, throughout the own pages of our own stories, that there is never, ever anything that just simply happens by chance, right? Either that be a good thing or a bad thing. Nothing happens by chance. In the economy of God, nothing just is happening. God, again, he's not just sitting in his chair just waiting to see how this thing is going to work out. He's actively involved in what's going on, and that's what this book is about. God is actively working and weaving in and out of our lives or the stories of our lives so that it might be for our good and for his glory. He's not, he's not just passively sitting back. He's actively involved. You know, people have often asked Ash and I about our adoption story um, with, with Lainey, and uh, I'll tell you, I mean, there, there were a lot of just-so-happened things throughout the story that when you look back, you just see, man, that is clearly the hand of God at work in, in the story. When Ashley and I um, were dating, I think I've shared this story a little bit in the past, but when we were uh, first dating, uh, we, we had talked about, like one day, you know, having kids and all that, but we talked about, well, one day we're going we're gonna to adopt. And we didn't know when it would be or how, what that would look like. We just said, one day, you know, when we get old, we're going we're gonna to adopt some kids. And one evening, I was, I was sitting at a pastor's conference, had nothing to do um, with adoption. And uh, I was sitting there, and I just felt this nudge by God, hey, talk to your wife about adoption. Cool. Now's the time, right? And so I made a note in my phone, talked to my wife about adoption. Well, it just so happened that at the same time, Ashley was sitting at home, and she got the same nudge from God. Hey, talk to Anthony about adoption when he gets home. And so I come home, have no clue what's been going on since I've been gone, and I come into the house, and Ashley pulls me over, and she just says, hey, let's talk about adoption. And and, and I ran out of the room. And she's like, well, what the heck's going on with this guy? And, and, but I went and I grabbed my phone and I said, hey, look, I, I wanted to talk to you about adoption tonight too. And I said, what time did you write down? She said, what time do you do write? It just so happened that around the same time we both had a nudge by God to talk about the adoption. And so we started talking about, you know, we're going to do international adoption. Is it going to be domestic? And it just so happened that the agency that we chose to work with um, worked with the country of Bulgaria. Now, I, to be honest, I probably, I don't think I'd ever even heard of the country Bulgaria at the time, but it just so happened that we ended up um, going after Bulgaria um, to uh, hopefully one day bring a, a child into our, our family. 
And around the same time, it just so happened that there was a mom and a dad uh, in uh, Varna, uh, or, uh, in, in Varna, Bulgaria, who had given up their rights uh, to a, a little girl. And so we went through mounds of paperwork, we corrected paperwork, we went through mounds more of paperwork, and uh, then we eventually get paired up with this little girl uh, about a year and a half into our process. And then finally, we get on a plane in New York, we fly to Sofia, Bulgaria, and then we get off that plane and we get onto a smaller plane to go fly over into Varna, into the, uh, the eastern part of the country, and to go into the specific doors of an orphanage in Varna to pick up our daughter for the very first time. And I don't know why God chooses to use the routes that he does. I don't know why he chooses to use the circumstances that he chooses to use to accomplish his purposes. But I know that not one of the steps that we took in that process was by accident. I know not one of the steps along that journey happened by random chance. God had worked out every single detail by his sovereign grace, by a sovereign design. There are no accidents within the economy of God. There is nothing that happens by random chance inside the economy of God. There's nothing that happened in my life this week that was by chance. There's nothing that happened in your life this week that was by chance. Nothing that happened a year ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. There is nothing that we have experienced in our life, whether good or bad, that just simply happened by chance. In the economy of God, He is actively working for our good and for His glory all of the time. And this is where the story even gets better. Look at verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Well, look who just so happens to show up in his own field when Ruth just so happened to be in Boaz's field. Seems like something might be up here, right? You can't write a better story than this. Hollywood has been trying to write, rewrite this story over and over again. They, they keep going back to this story because you can't overdo this story. You can't underdo this story. This is the best there is. So watch what happens with Boaz when he shows up on the scene. When he gets to the field, you immediately know that there's something different about this guy. He stands out from the others. In a, in a time when everybody's doing whatever it is that they want to do, whatever is right in their own eyes, he stands out as somebody who is different. I mean, you can tell a lot about a, a boss or um, uh, somebody who is, is over others in, in any type of leadership position, the way that he or she addresses the people that work for them, right? The, 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 those who are the underlings or those who are the hired staff or those, the, the students or the kids that are around them, those who are lower on the social rung, that they, if they act different with the boss, the other bosses or the other leaders, then they act with those who are on the lower social rung. You can tell a lot about leadership that way. It's not just how they act around the, the bosses there. But the way that Boaz steps onto the scene here, there's something different. He says, the Lord be with you. He shows up with all these hired hands, and what he says is, I am so thankful that you guys are out here in the field working. I'm so thankful for you. In fact, I'm actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call God's blessings on you because I'm so thankful for the work that you are doing. And he immediately stands out as someone who's different and somebody who's to be respected. Look at verse 5. Then Boaz said to his, his young man, or the foreman here, who is in charge of all the, the reapers, whose young woman is this? And this is the part of the drama that you've probably seen in videos, that you've probably seen in movies, and the part that we all want to get to, right? Because this is the moment where 
where Boaz looks across the field and he sees Ruth in all of her glory and the, the wind blowing in her hair and his, maybe his eyes meet her eyes or he sees the works that she's been doing and he's like, oh man, what's going on? Hold up. Who's that over there? And what he says, he says, whose young woman is this? And if you're reading between the lines here, I think the, orig the original language here says, Oh, oh, what's going on over there? I need to get to know who that is. Yeah, I'm just joking. <laughs> Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, who's that? What he asks, he says, who does this woman belong with? Whose clan is she from? Where, where, who does she belong to? And this is important because it's going to set up what's going to be happening in, in just a bit. And his foreman says, hey, this is the Moabitess that came back with Naomi from Moab. Oh, hey, did I mention that she's not one of ours? That she's from Moab? She's, she's not from Israel. She doesn't look like us. She doesn't act like us. She doesn't respond like us. She came here and she asked permission to go out here and glean in the fields. And she's been out here from sunup until this moment. And she's barely even taken a break. And so we're seeing, like, the character of Ruth, man, she is a hard worker. She's out here trying to provide for Naomi. She's doing it accordingly the way that she should have. She asked for permission to go out into the field. And this guy, the foreman, says she has been out here just working her tail off. And so you can almost picture this, right? You've got Boaz. He's standing here next to the foreman. He's like, hey, tell me all about her. Tell me everything that you know. And then after he finds out everything that the, the foreman knows, he goes over and he starts to talk to Ruth and and here's what he says in verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, don't go to glean in any other field or leave this one, but keep reaping and... Or, let me see. I just lost some place. Don't go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Did you catch that, guys? Here's how he responds to Ruth. First, he sees Ruth, and he doesn't see her as a trophy to be conquered, but he sees her as a daughter to care for. A lot of us as men, sometimes we see a woman, if we want to date her, we want to interact with her, like there's this like kind of a trophy mentality. I'm just going to go after her, and I'm going to do whatever I can to get her. This is not how Boaz shows up onto the scene. He doesn't see her that way. He sees her as, as, as a daughter to care for He's not trying to conquer her. He wants to come alongside of her and protect her and provide for her. He knows that she's a foreigner. He knows that she's clearly from Moab, that she's been out here gleaning out in the heat of the day all day. She's not out there smelling great, okay, right? Forget what the movies tell you. She's out here working. She's out here sweating. She's been out here all day long. Her hair is disheveled. Her clothes are probably all over the place. And she's out there trying to survive, trying, trying, to, trying to make it. And Boaz He's saying, man, I want to care for you. I'm not trying to come at you with some kind of weird angle. Like, I want to come in and I want to take care of you like I would care for a daughter. So it's not a trophy to be conquered. But he also is coming alongside and says, also, I want to fight for you too. Apparently, it wasn't, uh, it, it, it wasn't uncommon for um, women to be harassed or foreign women specifically to be harassed and mistreated out in the fields. So it's almost like Boaz stands up and says, hey, you see that field over there? Don't go hang out in that field. There's some bad dudes over there. And that field over there, don't go hang out in that field either because there's some pretty bad dudes over there. Like you come over here and you stay close 
to my gals that are working in this field. You stay close to the men who are working out in this field, and there will be no harm that's going to come your way. You stay right here in my field, and I'm going to make sure that you are cared for. And by the way, I've told my men, keep their hands off of you. You don't have to fear anything. And so there's this sense of ruggedness about this guy, too. Not only is he a stand-up character of morality and ethics and, and a wealthy man of means, there's a respect amongst him that when he says, keep your hands off her, he knows that the men in his field are going to keep their hands off of her. He says, you will be safe in my field, I've told him. And there, there are some men who, when they see a woman who has um, been uh, just ravaged by the world and finds herself in, in a bad scenario, they just want to take advantage. They just want to, at whatever angle that they can come in. But then you've got men like Boaz who just stand up with character and morality. And what the scriptures are kind of on the back, this isn't about marriage, right? This, this isn't a marriage thing yet. But in this context, right, it almost, like, it almost challenges us guys in the room to be a man like Boaz, not to be somebody who just takes advantage whenever they get the opportunity to. And at the heart of things, gals, I mean, isn't that kind of what you want? I mean, not in a chauvinism or feminism kind of a way. Isn't it like, man, like the whole life, man, I just want somebody to come alongside. I want somebody to see my need. I want somebody that I know that's going to care for me, is going to take care of me, that's going to meet me in that place, is going to fight for me, who's going to protect me, who's going to love me, who's going to see what's happening. There is a tenderness that you see that's coming out of this guy right now. But there's also this rugged man, like I've told him to keep your, their hands off of you, and they're going to listen to what I've got to say. Women are taking notes, guys. All right? So you go home, she's like, make sure he's like Boaz. Right? This, is, this is the kind of character that we rise up to, men. This is, this is how we interact with the women that are, that are in our lives. And watch how Ruth responds to this kind of favor and kindness in verse 10. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I'm a foreigner? That's the question of the chapter. Like, who am I? Like, who am I that you would see me and you would show me this kind of favor? I mean, she, she knows who she is. The question is real. She knows that she's from Moab. She knows that she's a foreigner. She knows that she's got a pagan background and she used to worship another god. She doesn't fit in with the rest of Israel at this time. She doesn't look like them. She doesn't talk like them. There's a difference about her. She's new in town. And so she's saying, why would you show me this kind of favor when I'm not even a hired hand of yours? Why would you choose to show me favor? And this is what Boaz says in verse 11. Here's how he answered. All that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in, in your native land and came to a people that you didn't know before. It says your reputation precedes you. Just as Boaz's reputation preceded him before he ever showed up into the field, this was a worthy man. It says your reputation precedes you. The Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. Go ahead and underline that or circle that because this is really the heart of it. Under whose refuge you've come, or under whose wings you've come to take refuge. The picture here is of a mama eagle and a baby eagle and that eagle, that little baby chicklet, you know, whatever you call these little baby eagles. Little, I don't know. I don't do animals or birds. <clears throat> but they, they come and hide out under the wing, and they're protected. They feel like nothing's going to, to harm them in this moment. She's saying, he's saying that this is how you've come to Bethlehem. You came here seeking hope. You came here seeking refuge. 
not, not just um, in, in loyalty to Naomi, but you pledged an obedience to God when you showed up. And now you've entered under his protection. And then she said, I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you've comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. The interesting thing of Boaz here is that he is saying that she deserves God's blessing because of how she's entered in under the wing of his protection. But there's also this sense that Boaz is saying, I'm, I'm going to allow God to use me to be that blessing in your life. I'm going to be the one who comes alongside of you and takes care of you. You've come under the wing of God, but you're also coming under the wing of my protection. God is going to rise me up in this moment to be a part of that. So she says, I'm the lowest rung of the social ladder. I consider myself nothing, and I'm not even a hired hand by you. You saw me, you were kind to me, you've encouraged me in a way that I never thought was possible again. Didn't think I could have something like this. The hope that I was looking for is being found right here in this field. And you can almost feel the sense of darkness lifting for Ruth. She didn't know what to expect when she went out looking for a field and looking out for kindness that morning. And she didn't know what to expect when she went out. And maybe she actually did. Maybe she thought the thing that I'm going to find is rudeness, maybe catcalls, maybe abuse. But then she's shocked to find out that Boaz treats her this way. And then in verse 13 and 14, there's a gap of time. And then we're going to start wrapping up here really quickly. Um, there's a gap of time between 13 and 14. You have this scenario, and then in verse 14, um, it's almost like they're on their first date, right? I don't know what you guys did on your first date, if, you, if you're dating or you're married, you're, you're engaged or whatnot. But on your, their first date, like we get a glimpse into what's going down here. They're kind of out in the field or presumably out in, in the field, and she's right next to Boaz, and this is good. In verse 14, and at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. I don't know if that's a pickup line or not, but like, I, I think it ends up working. And so she sat beside the reapers, and he passed her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. The image that I have, guys, like this is like at, they're at the fair, you know, and you go and you get that roasted corn on a stick. I don't know, like, whoever thought, like, it'd just be really great to walk around with butter dripping down my hand, and, and like, this is like a, like a good thing for a date. I don't know. But it's like he takes this big roasted ear of corn, like, here, take from my food. Take what's going down here. And again, like, he may not be the biggest romantic, but it's working, okay? Boaz is sitting here. He's, he's the boss. He owns the field. He's in charge of the workers. And the way that Scripture shows us this is that he serves Ruth. Sits her down. She doesn't, have, she doesn't deserve to be at his table. She's a Moabite. Sits her down by his side, and he serves her meal. He serves her food, and he serves her until she is full. And then she gets up from the table, and it's kindness on top of kindness. And she walks away with 30 to 60 pounds of grain. Guys, Ruth was a tough gal. She's walking away with a lot of grain. And then Naomi, you know, sees her coming back home. And Naomi has been at home like, man, I hope she found favor. I hope that somebody's been good to her. I hope that she's been okay. And it's like Naomi's kind of looking out the window and she sees Ruth coming like, is that you, Naomi? Or is that you, Ruth? And uh, then she's like, holy cow. Like, what is she carrying? And she comes back with half of Israel's granary and just throws it down on the table. 
And, she, and, and Naomi's like, God bless the man who saw you. God bless the man who's found you, whose sight you found favor. God bless the man who took notice of you. And Ruth is like, tell me everything. Tell me everything that went down. And so, and, and, or, or Naomi says, tell me everything. And, and Ruth doesn't hold back any details. And she tells her everything that happened. And she's like, oh, and by the way, I was in Boaz's field. Oh, were you? You were in Boaz's field. I forgot all about him. It's been so long since I've been here. Like, I forgot. He's one of our kinsmen redeemers. And all of a sudden, you begin to see this hope lift even for Naomi. Ruth has already been experiencing this while she's been out in the field. But now Naomi, this woman who was bitter, call me Mara. Don't even call me the name that you used to call me. Call me bitter. You almost see this twinkle in her eye. Huh, Boaz. God might just be up to something here. God just might be doing something here. Because the idea of the kinsman redeemer, we're going to find out more about this um, next week. It's that in the clan, in the clan, if somebody has a need, the next person in line takes care of the family. Elimelech has died. And Boaz is in the line in the clan to come in and to help provide for those who are now destitute. God takes this tapestry that looks like chaos and a mess and begins to turn these damsels in distress and begins to rewrite their story to bring hope out of the ashes and to do so. And it just so happened that Ruth ended up in Boaz's field. It just so happened that Boaz showed up in the field while Ruth was there. It just so happened that he shows her kindness. It just so happens that she comes back with 30 to 60 grains or pounds of food. It just so happens that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. Nothing happens by accident. God is at work behind the scenes for our good and for his glory. And so nothing for you is happening by chance. Nothing that you've experienced in your life is happening by random chance or by some weird selection. God is doing something in your life where Boaz shows up and says, you know what, I'm going to use the blessing that God has given me to bless somebody else. This is kind of a call for us to, to, to be a blessing in somebody else's life, to come alongside, to put under the wing, uh, the wing of an eagle, like a little, little chicklet hanging out. Like if there's somebody in your life that God has blessed you with, that is blessed to have in your life and he's given you means to come alongside of them. Yes, pray for God's blessing on them, but you might be the one that God says, hey, I'm, I'm, come alongside and do something uh, amazing there. I'm going to uh, pray, and uh, we're, we're going to enter into a, a time of communion. Uh, so I'm going to ask the team to go ahead and come on up. Um, the, the deal is, you know, Na- Naomi um, or Ruth, she, she asks, she says, who am I that I would find kindness in your sight? Who am I that you would see my situation? I'm just a foreigner. I don't deserve this. But the way that Boaz responds to her, he says, because you've sought refuge in God, because you've sought refuge in God, this is, this is how this works out. This is why you are able to come under to the wing of his protection. There was a time where uh, Jesus was walking on, on the earth. And as he's walking on the earth, he, he knew he was heading to a cross. And as he's hanging there, there are people who are looking around saying, why on earth would a man like this do that? What, who am I that you would go to a cross for me? Who am I that you would lay down your life and we see on the backside of the cross those who step into Christ that it's because I love you. It's because I'm your redeemer. It's 
because I've stepped in for you, because I've brought hope in the middle of your darkness. And so as we enter into a time of communion, we're just going to ask ourselves, man, who am I that the Lord would see kindness or that the Lord would see me and show me his kindness? And it's going to be because of what Jesus did. Let's pray. Father, thank you for time together this morning. Thank you for my friends. Thanks for our family here. Thanks for what you're doing. Um, God, I'm just so thankful uh, that we get to open up your scriptures and um, just to dive in and and see what you have for us. This morning, we just see your loving kindness in a way that uh, just blows our mind. Let it not just sit here. Let us take that home to experience your loving kindness, to be those who love with kindness towards others. Father, let us be the it just so happened for somebody. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.